play a game with me. Imagine this scenario. You're a keynote speaker at an event and there's 200 people in the room and you're standing on stage and everybody in the room is talking to someone else and the mic is not working. How do you get their attention? If you don't know how to do that, you're going to want to listen to this episode because Yvonne and I have a conversation about how to be better at communication. He is the founder of Public Speaking Lab. He's also written a book called End Boring. And I saw him speak at a conference and frankly, it was the best session that I saw at the conference. And he gives some real tactics, like how on earth do you get people's attention when they're not paying attention to you? His techniques are extremely effective and they work for virtual meetings as well as live meetings. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I'm Scott Peck for the founder of I Love Mortgage Brokering and Bricks Mortgage. Thanks for listening. I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation today with Yvonne. Just before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. So it's got some cool features like smart docs. It knows what documents your client needs based on their app. It's got connection to a lender spotlight, which is the best tool for searching rates and guidelines. It's got 8,000 plus guidelines in there and it's connected to all the main lenders. You want to check them out at lendescom slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Yvonne. Hey, Yvonne, welcome to the show. Hey, man. How's it going? Good to see you. I'm doing fantastic. So I'm excited to chat with you. I saw you speak at a conference recently and I was like, this guy should have been on the main stage because I thought it was a fantastic. It was all about communication and mortgage brokers we need to be better at communication. So I'm excited to have you come and share some of your insights. You're good at simplifying. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into being like this communication ninja and stuff that you do? <laughs> I don't know if that's your branding, but that's kind of what communication I Communication ninja. Well, before you post this, I'm going to go buy that domain name if no one's bought it yet. So I'll beat everyone to it. But before I answer that question, I want to highlight something that you said to me offline that I didn't tell you was a huge compliment to me. Okay. And that is you asked me like, so are you in the mortgage business? Like, how did you get into this thing? Because one of the things I really pride myself on, this is why I got into communication training. Dude, how many times have you seen some motivational speaker or some communication expert and you can tell they're giving you the exact same canned presentation that they give to everybody else. Yeah, lots of times. Oh, dude, all the time. And that's where you're like, hmm, that was really great. And no real change happens. And it drove me insane. I was literally at a conference a month ago. The guy in the session is like, I'm sure what you all do is very important. This guy didn't even know what the conference was about. He just came in, did his one hour little like motivational speech to get you emotional and crying. And it was like, great. And he's out. Yeah. So the reason what you said to me is a compliment is one of the things I really try and do. It's like, if I'm such a good communication expert and anyone who's listening to this, I should say, I'm not mad. I just, this is my whole life. I nerd out about this. Your energy. Yeah. If you're ever thinking about getting communication training, give them real scenarios that you do in your day to day and see if their ideas apply. Right. Because... So much of the like communication training, you know, it's vital to tell stories and they're not wrong, but you have to remember that most of the people that teach communication are teaching you to be a motivational speaker mm -hmm. and have zero experience in your field. So one of the things that I do that was really different is, for example, when we met before I ever talked to any group, all I did was with the organizers, all I did was say, can you give me some real scenarios? Can you tell me the companies that are going to be there? So I researched the business and that's why all my examples that we use in our session were from the business, like actual presentations that you would have to yeah, do. Yeah, I thought that you were a mortgage broker who became a communications expert, right? So that's actually, that is a compliment because usually you're right. You can see right through people. Oh, for sure. Like one of the things I always say is like, and this is one of my red flags. You know, this is one of my, like, I'm a prince from Nigeria, red flags kind of thing. Right. Is someone who's teaching you how to be a good public speaker or a good presenter, and they start talking about creating an emotional connection. Emotion is so important. 
for me, that is a red flag because what if I'm doing like a 10 minute update at a scrum meeting on Friday? What kind of an emotional connection am I supposed to be making? Hey, I'm doing a presentation about a new drop down menu feature we did on our database to the client. What right. kind of an emotional connection are you supposed to be making? Do you know well, what I mean? I mean? If you really like that stuff, I suppose you could be like, this is so for amazing. The, for the yeah. one guy in the room. Yeah. But could you imagine you're there to do like a training session about a new app, about like a new GPS system for like a hydro company? And the person was like, I want to talk about that time when I was 15 years old. And you'd be like, what are we doing right now? Right. Yeah. Context matters. And what's your background? Because you didn't, get, you didn't give me that. that. <laughs> you, you skipped it. Like, Let me tell you, I'll give you the quick and dirty on myself. So number one, when I graduated university, I did the same thing everyone else did. I actually worked in finance and I burnt out of that very quickly. I worked in sales and pharmaceutical sales specifically. I burnt out of that. I worked as an accountant, a bookkeeper. I worked at a non-for-profit. I was a temp. I was a personal assistant. And one thing that I found in all those positions that I worked in was that I was very unhappy in all those positions. And the other kind of trend was, you know, when you get hired with a big company and they say they take you for like a week of training at the headquarters and everything mm -hmm. like that. I, for some reason, was always the one who was, they were like, oh, Yvonne, you're good at the presentations. You can do the presentation. You can do the presentation. So after many failed careers, I decided to, A, learn salsa dancing. And for a while, I owned a salsa school. Yeah. And B, that was my part-time gig while I thought maybe I can make some sort of a go at becoming a communications teacher. Because what I saw is having more of like a finance background, a lot of the quote unquote soft skills were very general. Like you need to engage your audience. You have to get to the relevant points. Right. Like no one taught you tactics. So what I did is I started like figuring out ways to be a better communicator, but making it all tactics. So instead of ideas, giving you tactics. So I started this business and I essentially worked for free for about, I think about four years or five years just to build my client base. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I still remember the day that one client was like, hey, listen, we'd like to have you back. And I was like, great, no problem. It's like, how much would you like to get paid? And I was like, what? You're going to pay me? And I literally went, I literally went like this, like a hundred bucks. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, oh, I asked for too much. I asked for too much. And they're like, no, seriously, seriously, just give us a quote, whatever you think is fair, and we'll take it from there. And I remember going like, I couldn't tell if that was too high or too low because I was totally naive. Right. And then after the fact, they told me, you know, I ended up charging, this is like, I charged them like 500 bucks or something. After the presentation, they went up to me and they were like, Yvonne, can we talk? And I was like, okay. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, uh -oh. I did something wrong. Yeah. The client was like, I want you to double this quote because we almost didn't hire you because you were too cheap. Right. And that was my first client ever. And since then, it's just been slowly growing. Good for them and good for you. Yeah, that's somebody actually didn't take advantage of you. Oh, I'm so thankful of that, yeah. dude. Because what person says charge me more? Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into communication. And so sure. I love that you're tactical. I noticed that when you were doing your presentation, it was very engaging and tactical. And so Thank you. why don't we talk first about virtual versus in person and maybe sure. some tactics around that. And then we'll get into some other topics too. Absolutely. And for everyone who's listening, virtual will never go away, but it's not going to be as prominent as it was. That being said, one of the things I always tell people is people think that it's harder to keep people engaged virtually, but that's not true. It's just as hard to keep people engaged virtually versus in person. It's just that in person, I have to be polite. Virtually, I don't have to. There's not a person listening to this podcast or watching this video who does not have another tab open right now. I'm going to put Scott on the spot. Scott, how many tabs do you have open on your computer right now? One, two, three, four, five. And I close most of them. And you... <laughs> 
Here's the Most thing. of the ride, they're just sitting there. There's like, I have one for taking notes. I actually don't need the other four. And I want to give you props. I want to give you props for being honest. Because every time I ask that with groups, all you see is these guilty faces. I mean, how often have you been in a session where you see this? And this is just for the video people. But you'll see someone do this the whole time on the meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can tell everyone is on their email. Yeah, they're not paying now, attention. If I was to pull up my phone and check my email or you and I in a meeting, that would be rude. But online, I can do that and no one would know. Mm -hmm. Right. So the thing about online is it's actually exposed how poor most of our communication is. Right. So I think that the future of communication, whether it's in person or online, is not about information. Because I can send you all the information before or afterward. The whole point of getting together is for us to converse or for me to do something. If I'm in the audience, I have to do something. Right. That's why you may have noticed, Scott, during our session, oh, you had more than half like, the time. You had them working, man. Oh, yeah. My goal is for have people working or presenting more than half the time. Yeah. Because if we were just going to sit there and watch someone, why come in right. person? That's what virtual is for now. Past just me like listening. If we're coming together, give us a reason to come together. Right. And that's, I think, the future of communication. Right. So for example, if you are designing a conference and if almost the entire conference is one person on a stage or three people on chairs talking to 200 people, you got to reverse it. Right. Because otherwise we could all be online. We'd be doing the exact same amount of listening. Yeah find that a lot of conferences are unfortunately not that great because they seem to neglect human nature. And so, okay, what's your tips for, it's the same, you've got to be engaging, you've got to yes. get them to you know participate, but what other sort of tactics or tips could somebody use if they want to do better with virtual, if they're struggling with it, if everybody on well, their virtual yeah. call is not paying attention and they're on their phones? Yeah, everybody's like, because like, I mean, let's be real. And I like that you're so honest and frank. Like, let's be real. Most of us will log into a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting and just right away put our Gmail or our email up and just be like pretending to work, you know? Yeah. Here's a couple of tactics for you, for all my listening audience. Tactic number one, if you are in a virtual meeting and nobody has their cameras on. Yeah. Try and get them to do a variety of things in the chat and highlight every time something pops up in the chat. Right. So let me give you a few specific examples. When I log into the meeting, I try and do one of two things. Either I get some sort of response that's fun or I get some sort of response that requires people to do a little bit of research and coming back. So for example, if I was going to start off a session, I might say, hey, everyone, in the chat below, can you all find me a link for someone trying to predict what interest rates are going to be over the next five years? Go. Right. Or I could say, hey, in your opinions, are interest rates going to go up or down? And I'd like everybody in the chat to let me know. We're going to get started in two minutes, everyone. And as people are saying up, down, you can say like, okay, Kurdeep, you said up. Sarah, I see you say up as well. Like highlight it. Right. The reason this works is A, if I'm writing and you say my name and I'm like, oh, this person is actually paying attention. If I write something and no one responds to it, I'll write it once and never again. But because I keep highlighting and recognizing, it's going to compel more people to do it. Then what I have to do, and here's my goal, you need to get your audience, if no one is on camera, to do something in the chat at least every five minutes. And it can be agree or disagree, yes or no, give me a smiley face if you understand, what percentage do you think, doing little quizzes, hey, A, B, or C, which one do you think? The more and variety of things I can get people to do in the chat, and if I can do it roughly every five minutes, the harder it is for people to be disengaged. Right. I heard that it was 15 minutes you needed to change it, but probably in the current... Dude, what's your attention span? It's not 15 minutes. If you're like me, it's like I'm a squirrel. After a couple of minutes, yeah. I've already tuned out. Right. That's really good, actually. And I mean, yes, in a perfect world, we would all be able to pay attention for 15 minutes. But the harsh reality is there's not a single person watching or learning that hasn't probably looked at their phone once since this podcast started. Right. Yeah, but exactly. One of the things I say, Scott, you're always going to lose the fight. 
you will always lose the fight for attention. But most people make it an easy loss. Right. Just by doing this one little thing in every five minutes, you make it a very hard loss. So every time I go in my email, I'm like, oh, another thing. And because I'm highlighting names and I'm like, hey, Yvonne, haven't seen your response yet. Oh, this dude's paying attention. Right. Yeah, yeah. I can see and that. it's going to be harder and harder for me to disengage. Creates a much more engaging environment. Okay, so any other tactics for virtual versus in life? So yeah. get them engaged every five minutes, chat or use their names, right? So like connect them. Always respond on what you're seeing in the chat. Let me give you one more for virtual. And if you want, tell you what, if you remind me later on, I'll give you a few for in person. Okay. Oh, we will. That's we a will teaser to keep people listening. Yes. <laughs> we'll address it a little later. Yeah, we're getting meta here. We're pausing and telling you what games, we're doing. Baby. Yeah. That's right. Mind games. Stick around after the ads. We'll give you a couple more tips. Yeah, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Yeah, another slap chop. <laughs> so one of the big things that people always say is, you know, a lot of people don't put their cameras on. And the reason is we don't see the point in being in the meeting to begin with. But let me give you a tactic that won't necessarily get everyone's camera on, but will encourage people to put their cameras on. Okay. Number one, start asking for visual cues. Like raise your hand. Yes. So in my virtual sense, hey, can you guys give me a thumbs up? If you can, for just a quick second, turn your cameras on. Just give me a quick thumbs up if you blank, if you agree, disagree, if you can hear me, et cetera. That's one quick one. But the game changer that requires a little bit of technical, but just a little bit, nothing you do, nothing you do will engage a group of people more than getting them to talk to each other. Mm. And let me explain what that means and how you can use that concept. Scott, the loudest part of any conference is usually right before or right after the speaker. The most energetic part is usually right before. Listen, during the presentations, no matter how interesting, how often do you feel like this? Do the internal yawn. Right? It's like the, it's like the <laughs> hidden yawn. Yeah, I either got to go poop or I'm yawning. It's one of those two things. I don't want to yawn. I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah, but yeah, then totally. the second the presentation's over and you can get up and walk around, right away you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? You're going to get a coffee? Like right away you have energy. You're just yes. going crazy. Yeah, yeah. How do we replicate that virtually? One of the things I always do as a best practice is I always try and start everything I do, whether it's a training session, keynote speech, whatever it is online, I always start with a discussion topic or a challenge, and I put people into breakout rooms for like two minutes. And I say, listen, go into the breakout room, turn your cameras on and meet one another. Answer this question. Give me your opinion on this. Rank these three things. And when you come back, I'm going to pick a few people to do it in person to tell us what you found. Yeah, that's really good. That's so good. If you and I are with one other person, Scott, in a breakout room, and we have our cameras on, that person is going to feel a little more like, okay, A, it's only the three of us, so I can turn my camera on. But B, it's a little rude for me not to turn my camera on. Yeah. It doesn't work all the time. But every time I've done this, if I have 100 people and 20 have their cameras on, I put them into the breakout room, turn your cameras on, talk to each other for a minute, come back. When we come back, 60, 70, 80 people have their cameras on. And then before they have a chance, I'm like, all right, first of all, give me a thumbs up if you agree. Just on camera, everyone, give me a thumbs up if you found that right, right. I get something so I get a visual cue right away. Dude, you're, and you are a freaking ninja. This is such good. Like some of this stuff I've heard, <laughs> but I have not heard it as simply explained as you've done it in a way that's like makes like complete sense. So that's amazing on the virtual, like all that by itself alone. That's fantastic. Yes. But in terms of other tactics, for mortgage brokers to improve at communication, what would you suggest? Certainly. And by the way, quick plug, if anyone is liking any of these concepts, I did write a book. I think, Scott, you'll share it in the yep. notes. It was called End Boring because I'm trying to end boring communication. And I want to give you a tactic from that book. Okay. And this is specifically for mortgage brokers. Whenever you're talking to clients, there is a concept called psychological reactance. 
And psychological reactance is a concept that has been studied since about the 1960s across age groups, language, and culture. And it seems to be inherent in human behavior. And what it says is this, when you feel like you do not have the freedom to choose, you will resist whatever is presented to you, even if it's what you want. Mm. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Scott, you look like a young guy, but I'm just out of curiosity. Do you have kids? Yeah, I'm not young. It's you look, just oh, the filters. You? It's the filter. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't well, know if there's, a, if there's a filter on this. I didn't put it on. Is my, I got the light. I got yeah. to get out of the sun because all I see is my lines here. All right. Do you ever like think about you tell your kids to do something and their instant reaction is to be like, no, nah. like put that down. They're like, no. Nah. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was like 16 and I was going out with my friends and I was about to grab my jacket because it was a little cold outside. And my mother's like, hey, put your jacket on before you leave. It's cold. And you left it. Right away. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm leaving the jacket here. Do you know what I mean? That is psychological reactance when people don't feel like they have the freedom to choose. So if you want to become more persuasive and dude, as brokers, how often are you talking to the client and you give them exactly what they want right. and they still hesitate? Yeah, all, all the time. All the dude. Yeah. And you're thinking like, what is there to think about? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just need a little more information. What? It's all here. And in your head, you're going like, I don't get it. It's because they don't feel like they have the freedom to choose. So here is how you overcome okay. psychological reactance. You have to change the frame from yes or no yep. to which one. Ooh, that's from good. yes or no to which one. So here's what you do. Let's say you give a client two options. Both those options you give the client and you present them as pros and cons. And here's what you do. You want them to choose number two. So what you do is this, you give them option one. There's not a lot of pros. There's some, but there's a lot of cons. Or we can try this one. It's got a lot of pros and a few cons. Which one would you like to explore? Which one would you like to try? Which one would you like to do? Right. The second one. 90% of the time, they're going to choose the one you want. Right. Like very rarely will they say, I don't know, I'm not going to choose either. Very rarely. Because once you change the frame from yes or no to which one, that's focus the conversation. And that's key to persuasion. I watched a BBC special about it. And then a bunch of Instagrammers tried to replicate it. And it worked. If it works for Instagrammers, then it'll work anywhere. <laughs> so, and by the way, this is how it works if you've ever ordered something in a restaurant. Okay? Yeah. So this was the experiment. First, in the BBC, they did it with wine. The TikTok, they did it with water. In the first scenario, they just tried to give something away. And nine out of 10 times, because they thought it was a scam or something, right? They'd be like, yeah. hey, would you like a free bottle of wine? And people are like, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. In the second experiment, they said, would you like a red or a white? And people would almost always take one of them. Right. The Instagrammer, TikToker, I can't remember, did the same thing with water. They were trying to give away bottles of water. And no, thank you. Like one in 10 people would take it. One in eight, nine or 10 people would say no. Then they said sparkling or still water. And almost every single time someone would choose one. Because once you feel like you have the freedom to choose, you are changing the frame from yes, no to which one. Right. That's good. You know, I have an example of this. I used to be a paramedic and we would sometimes get people that had to go to the hospital that were, let's say, combative or just not wanting to go. And so the police would be there. And what I would say to them is you've got two choices here. You can either go with the police officer who looks like he's kind of pissed at you, or you can go with us. Who do you want to go with? Mm. And they would jump in my ambulance like no problem. And so... In all my years in the, I was only ever punched by one patient. It was a little old lady who had dementia. I didn't even see it coming. I was like, Whoosh, what was that? And I was like, okay, you know, and I had other paramedics who would fight with people all the time, but I never had any issues because you just give even somebody in the most not logical state still wants a choice. They wanted a choice. And the choice was you go with the police or you go with us. And they would never go with the police. They would always come with us. If I said, Hey, you got to come get in my ambulance. They would have fought with me. Right. But I just gave them a choice. And they would make that. So it's the exact same thing. It's like that 
psychological reactants, as you call it. Reactants. And I was just going to say, bravo. And you were doing it without even thinking about it. Because well, no, I probably, thing, I probably learned learning. it from somebody else who taught it to me. I didn't invent some it. Other some other experienced paramedic is like, hey, Scott, this is how you get man. them to get in the ambulance. Give them a choice. And then I'd have been like, oh, you know, I'm pragmatic that way. Okay, so that, that's a great tactic. What other kind of tactics would you give for somebody who wants to get better at communication in general? Well, this is a tactic I actually learned from the RCMP. And for all of our American listeners, if we have American listeners or who listeners who aren't yeah. in Canada, the RCMP, I would say, is probably the equivalent to the American FBI, you know, maybe something like that. In some places, they are like the regular police, but other times they handle more like across the country kind of federal issues. Mm. So many years ago, when I was doing research to build up for the book and for just for my training, try to look at like who actually has to do, forget these people who worked in sales or in marketing or someone on LinkedIn telling you how to live your life. Right. I wanted to see who actually gets people to open up, like who actually does it. And so one of the obvious places for me was police interrogators. Yeah. And so I spent a long time calling the RCMP trying to get interviews with some well, of that their would kind be of easy. You just do a hostage situation and you get me. <laughs> I know how to get this call real easy. I got hostages and I'm going to, you know. You know what? I wish I had you with me at the problem time, solved, my friend. Man. That's no problem. It's like. Problem solved. I have the Sorry, plastic going. and I have five people. Yeah. And that's when we get flagged on YouTube. There it is. <laughs> so I started talking to them and I one of the questions I asked was, what's the biggest difference in terms of what you see on TV and what you see in the real world? And this is kind of like around when YouTube was starting. So you can kind of go on YouTube and you can see this for yourself. And the consistently what I got was, you know, when you watch a TV show, it's the cop asking lots of questions. But a lot of the times, the more you interrogate someone, the more they shut up. Right. So what we try and do and what is very different is we always reveal information first to get the other person to start talking. That reminds me of, a, I think it's either Larry King or Oprah. I'll touch on that in a sec. That did something similar. Oh, really? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. I want to hear the rest of your story. Okay. Yeah. So what they said is this. You know, the idea is there's two ways this works. One, if I just start revealing information, the other person will start giving back information. Then it becomes conversational. Number two, if I start putting in the wrong information, it's so natural to start correcting people mm -hmm. if you think they're wrong. Both situations involve the other personing taking initiative and talking back at you. So the way we can use this and in any kind of client interaction, I do this in my day to day. This will also help if you ever have a really hard time with networking, if you're trying to break the ice with someone, here's the scenario that normally happens. Scott, let's you and I role play for a minute. Okay. okay? Let's pretend we've never met before. We're at some networking event or something like that, or maybe I'm a new client and I say, hey, how are you? I'm outstanding, how are you? I'm good. How's your day going? So who's supposed to be building report here, me or you? Exactly. There's <laughs> the, no report to be no, built. No, because I didn't know the frame. If I thought I was supposed to be the, anyways, yeah, fail. No, no, don't yeah. worry. But here's the thing, Scott, what you and I just did is the most normal thing that happens. Right. Right. It's the most, it was like, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. How's your day going? Good. How about yours? Good. Busy, busy. Yeah. How about you? Busy, busy. Cold outside today. Yeah, it's cold. It's cold. And you're like, get me out of this conversation as quickly. Like you hate it. Right. It's so uncomfortable. And you have nothing to say. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. And there's nothing left to say. What I did, and at least what I took from the RCMP, is instead of that, reveal something first. Right. Okay. So for yes. example, when someone says, hey, how are you? I almost never just say, I'm fine. How are you? I will say something else. So for example, earlier today, I was talking to another person. I hope I don't dox you who lives in Kelowna. And they were like, Yvonne, how are you? And I said, you know, I just got out of the pool. So I'm doing great. How are you? There was, I was just in the swimming pool before the meeting. 
what do you think they asked? You were in the pool? Where are you? What pool? Oh, you went swimming? Do you have your own yeah. pool? What kind of? And then right away, we went into like a 10 minute tangent. You gave a conversation starter for them. Yeah. It's the easiest right. way to break the ice with new clients, with people you've never met. And it's the way that I go from like never met you before to half hug within 10 minutes. Right. You know, when you give it, all right, man, I see you, man. Take it easy, bro. Like that's how we get to half hug with it. Okay, give me minutes. some other examples because I feel like where does that not become too much? Because you meet some people and they just reveal too much information and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa T, like I just met you, man. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my gosh, I just came back from the doctor, got this rash. Yeah. You wouldn't believe this thing. You know, you're just like, what the hell? Like, I you just want to let me show it to you. Yeah. You got to see this thing, man. It's horrible. Like, they're just like, what the? So give me some more examples so it helps yeah. me know where is a starter versus too much information. That's a really great idea that you bring up, Scott, a kind of a, because the question is, where is the balance of me talking and me listening? And what happens if we fall into the trap of just me doing all the talking because I'm trying really hard to connect with this person? So this happens a lot in, you know, when people talk about elevator pitches, what's your yeah. elevator pitch? How much can you possibly say in like 30 seconds? Here's the way we turn around. Instead of how much is how little. Mm. Here's where the difference is. When someone says, hey, how are you? I never just say, I'm fine, how are you? But I never say more than one more sentence. Just got out of the pool, how are you? Right, okay, so the rule there is one sentence. One sentence. And this is the thing for as often as I can, I try and tell people this one underlining concept. Instead of how much can you say, how little can you say to make the other person curious? If I can make you curious, it's no longer an elevator pitch. I'm going to give you the time. Right. If I can make you curious, that 15 minute call can turn into an hour and no one would notice. And I can give you one more cool example. Mirror. You want a cool example? Okay. So I work with one of the big banks in Canada and I was working with some of their high wealth managers and we had done some training. And after the fact, one of them, you know, a year later, we had gone together to another conference and she was telling me this story. So they had this client multi like hundred million dollar client that they were trying to get like some of their business to like basically like do some wealth management with some of their funds. Mm -hmm. It had taken them months to get this client. And when they logged in, it was all a virtual conversation. They came in, they had like a half an hour. And the first thing the client said is, Hey guys, just so you know, I only got five minutes for you. And instantly the client went like this. I only got five minutes for you. So let me see what you got. He's on his phone. And for all of you that are listening, basically they just turned and looked at their phone. So right away, everyone's thrown off. And the whole five minutes is with them saying, hey, listen, we really value your business. We value your time, blah, blah, blah. Here's all the great things we can do for you. We pride ourselves on our service, blah, 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 blah. And when they were done, the person's like, okay, thank you so much. That was great. And then the person I was speaking with, she's like, oh, before you go, just out of curiosity, is that a so-and-so watch? And the person's like, I'm sorry? Is that watch, is that connected to your phone? And the person was like, no, why? And then they brought up the fact that, you know, there's a big security breach with certain watches and phones. And then the other one's like, yeah, I don't do that because I'm like obsessed with like privacy. And they're like, you are. That led to a 30 minute longer conversation. Right. And afterward, they locked in the business because they found something by revealing information. Oh, I read somewhere that there's a security thing. And then that person responded back with more information. Right, right. Yeah, that's really good, actually. I remember you did like an exercise at the conference on that where you had people come up and they had to keep the conversation going. And it was very difficult for people to keep it going when somebody says, how are you? I just got out of the pool or, you know, I just buried a body in the backyard. How are you? <laughs> and you know, what the funny part is, if you try and be interesting, it doesn't work. I right. always tell people, stop trying to be interesting. If you're like, pretty good, I just did a 10 backflips. Right. You're like, you're full But if of I it. said, I wouldn't say I buried a body in the backyard. I'm kidding about that. Oh, no, like, no, no, I wouldn't, no. If I did that, I wouldn't. I can't you tell you that. I wouldn't anything. tell you where I'd hide the body. Yeah. <laughs> I always challenge people. It's like, make it as boring as possible. Just took the dog for a walk. Have to take the dog for a walk. I'm thirsty. 
right? Just finish my laundry. Yeah. You know, honestly, if you said just finish my laundry, I literally have something to say back to you. It was like, I'm in a place now where uh, they don't have a laundry, so I'm getting a laundry service. And it's the weirdest thing in the world to give someone else your dirty underwear. This is, I'm 100% being honest right now. You did and that when you, listen, listen, no, 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 I just, I'm going to reframe this for you. You were a little boy at one time and somebody, your mom or your dad did your laundry for you. So this is not that weird. This is just going back to when you were five. It's, it's <laughs> allowing me to relive my youth then. All right. Yeah. But it was so weird to give like this lady, like, here's my, so strange. that's funny. It's been okay. so long since I had to give someone my laundry. All right. See so right away, we could totally, we have a, we, we could talk, talk about this for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. This is that you're very easy to yeah. talk to. So virtual in person, we talked about that. We talked about yeah. the tactic of psychological reactance. We talked about this reveal something. So I was going to tell you about the tactic from, I think it was either Oprah or Larry King. Oh, yeah. And so when they would get people to come on the show at the end, I can't remember who it was. I remember listening to an interview and they had said what they would do before they turn on their camera is they would reveal things about themselves. So if I was interviewing you. Beautiful. And I would reveal some things that were kind of personal recording. And now it's going to open you up to talk to me. Because at the end, what would happen is these people at the end of the interview would say, I can't believe the stuff that I just, I was not going to talk about this stuff. I can't believe things that I shared on this interview. And it was because, so it's a little slightly different, but it again, human nature is human nature. And it primes the pump for them to start feeling safe because you revealed something first. And so that was the... I love that idea. Yeah. I can't remember where it came from. It was either Oprah or Larry King. One of the master interviewers, though. One of these people that is really good at getting people to reveal things that they didn't think they were going to reveal. One thing that that you were saying that I think is exactly what I'm proposing. And if you want a vulnerable conversation, you know how people always talk about, you know, we have to get past like the product and get into like, you know, really trying to help our customers and really trying to like, you know, make that connection with that person the more personal you are, the more personal they'll be. Within reason, like you don't want to meet someone for the first time and be like, I just buried my dog yesterday. Like you don't want to do that, you know. But if you reveal a little bit about your day, if you're having a hard time or you're having a really good day and how you're trying to be more optimistic or whatever that is, that person will respond with equal sincerity. Right. Nine out of 10 times. Yeah. So that's brilliant. One more tactic. Give me another one. all the value we're giving. Everyone who's listening right now, you better be like giving this a five-star review. And if you're on YouTube, how about a thumbs up for this guy? How about a thumbs up well, for Scott? And for Yvonne, right now, yeah, this right is now. amazing. Give him a little thumbs yeah. up. When you push it on YouTube, little sparklers come out. So everyone do that right now. And on my podcast, people, let's give a good review for Scott here, man. He's doing great. Right, I'll send you $20 and I, have, I have to ask you, before you ask me my last question, I have to ask you, and this is for everyone listening, go on YouTube. What does your hat mean? Because I've been staring at it and oh, I have no idea I, what it so means. So the podcast is I Love Mortgage Brokering, ILMB. So it's the initials. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm... Or it could mean I love, my brother says it's I love my brother, or I love mountain biking, or I love... I thought it was about baseball, MLB. No, ILMB. I love mortgage brokering. And I love it. That's the original design from way back in the day that we It's actually a really pretty design, by the way. Thanks, man. So, okay, what's the last tactic? Getting with the last one. Okay, one more tactic I want to give everyone. And this is if you are shy, you're not a natural speaker, or maybe English isn't your first language. What do you do in those situations? Because so much of what we hear as good communication is dependent on having some sort of like a personality. Right. And this is actually very similar to the virtual tactic. But I want to tell you this because it actually applies in person as well. And for everyone who's listening, nobody does this. Nobody does this. And by nobody, I mean like 99% of people. I have seen this once or twice, and it always kills. Man, you're setting this up like, this is good. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll tell you something. It's the most nothing thing in the world. It's the easiest thing you can do. Because here's the thing. You can be quiet. You can be shy. You can be soft-spoken. And it will work. 
And here's basically the tactic. And it's the same thing we talked about in virtual is if you are shy, the first few minutes are always the part that you're most nervous. This is what everyone says. You know, once I get going, I'm okay, but it's like getting started in my presentation. That's when I'm most scared. Right. Start by getting your audience to do a 30 second conversation with each other. I literally will start presentation and be like, hey, everyone, I want you to turn to the people next to you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Can you please tell me which one of these options do you prefer? And we'll get a show of hands afterward. Ready? Right. Go. Groups of two or three. Just go. That place is going to get so loud that it'll be hard to get their attention back. And if you want, I will give you a tactic on how to get their attention back. But once you get their attention back, right. here's what's happened. You have started the presentation. So you've gotten your nerves out. You have taken the focus off of you so you can calm down. Because we get to talk to each other, we are now way more awake. Right. Because we don't know what the point is, now we want to know why we're doing this. Right. And if I get a show of hands, I'm getting you to physically move, which is bringing up the energy levels as well. And then here's the best part. After all that is said and done, it establishes you as being in charge. Right, because everybody followed your because lead. guess what? Like Tupac said, all eyes on me. I was listening to that the other day, the actually. the second you get their attention back, they're all just going to look at you and right, wait. Right, right. Okay, so what's the tactic to get the attention back? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. You tell me what you would do. So okay. fine if you put your hand up in the air like a teacher and people will see it and then makes them stop. And so it's like kind of like put your hand up to like, how would you get people's attention back? Very similar. Right. Because we've been trained from grade school from teachers to be like, they put their <laughs> hand up at the front. The teacher's not talking and their hands up. It's like, why is the teacher? Okay. It's like a reversal of the, of the role <laughs> or something, right? Anyways, this worked for me. But okay, what's your tactic? That's great. That's one. Let me give you one more. Use the clap reflex. Oh, yeah. Here's what I do. Right. I go up to two or three people and you're laughing yeah, because I did this so during good. the session and it works like you have no idea. Yeah, that, yours is better. Yours is better. Yeah. <laughs> so you go up to two or three people or for whatever and you say, gang, can you all start clapping on the count of three? One, two, three. And you get three or four people to start clapping and watch the whole room do one of two things. They will also start clapping. Like They will have no idea why you're <laughs> clapping. They'll literally like, so, oh, clapping, we have to stop and pay attention now. And they'll start clapping without knowing why. And then they'll all look it back at the stage. And then you got them. Right. That's so and good. Imagine what would happen. They all clap and then they all settle down. And then you wait. So by show of hands, how many said yes? How many said no? Well, great. Hi, everyone. My name is Yvonne. And today I want to talk to you about why blah, 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 blah. Right. How about that for so starting good. a presentation? Mic drop. Boom. So good. That's for the French speakers. Yeah, that's a fantastic, man. So good. So where can people find you online? If they're looking for you, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm Public Speaking Lab. Publicspeakinglab.com. And I'm at Public Speaking Lab on Instagram. Okay. If you're not Public following Yvonne, go follow that's it. on those platforms. This has been a great conversation, man. Appreciate it. And appreciate you. And Oh, thank you for having me, man. It was awesome. So I'm sure the people listening to this are going to take away some ideas from it. And before we head off, I want to say that in preparation for this interview, I went and I listened to a couple of the podcast episodes. I kind of went to your old ones. Yep. And I just, I love what you're doing. Because so many of these podcasts that we listen to sound like multi-level marketing schemes. Right. And one thing I really enjoyed about yours is the frank conversations, the realistic and practical tactics that you get your interviewers to give the people. And I really enjoy it. So thank you very much for having me on the session today. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, thanks again for listening. Hopefully you got some great ideas from this. If you haven't done this already, give me a follow on Instagram. I take a lot of the best clips from these podcasts now and I share them. So the little 30, 60 second clips. And if you want to see them sort of sliced out of the podcast, give me a follow. It's Scott Beckford on Instagram. And thanks again for listening.
This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.